Welcome to BioChats, a podcast by Appalachian Technology. My name is Ken Lum, and with this podcast, we aim to familiarize you with not only Appalachian's contributions to efforts in scientific discovery, but also to highlight the direction of ongoing research and help scientists determine how to best leverage their skills to improve global human health and quality of life. Join me today in welcoming Dr. Hussein Musa. He has an MD, and he is the founder of Kingdom Healthcare System, a 501c nonprofit organization. How are you doing, Dr. Musa? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for your time. Uh, as you know, we both went to the University of Chicago. I believe you were in the MSTP program because I knew you through your brother, who looks exactly like you. And the only way I could actually tell you apart is because he wore glasses and you do not. <laughs> so it's been a long time. But it, yeah, you, we've always had a good rapport. And I'm glad that you were able to come on today. And I thought we'd start by just asking you, you are a medical doctor. Why do you love science and medicine? Like, where do you come from? What sort of inspirations in your childhood got you to go on this path? I think that's a great question. Well, my family is from Nigeria. So in Nigeria, there's a huge focus on education. So growing up, I always knew that I was going to be a doctor. I just didn't know what type. And it's funny enough, it wasn't until I was in med school that I actually questioned, hey, what type of doctor should I be? Should I take care of patients? Should I do research? And I was already in the program to do both. So my love of science and medicine, I think, one, it was it was just really put into me. But as I went through school, I naturally just gravitated towards science, um, especially biology. I love the workings of the human body. It was just always fascinating. Like, why do things work? Why do we think? Why do our bodies function this way? And then as I went to college, I started to learn molecular and cellular biology. And it was just a whole new world. On the cellular level, we are this complex amalgamation of machinery that functioned and all of our cells functioned in a certain way. Then the components of the cells functioned in a certain way. There was so much complexity, even in the smallest part of our body, that I just couldn't fathom not studying more and learning more about it. Just a curiosity, were you also in an MD? like the MSTP program with Sham? Yes. Uh, He was a cancer biologist and you were in a different part of the cluster, I guess? Correct. I actually started at the University of Chicago as part of the medical scientist training program. I started with a PhD in microbiology. I did the coursework, become a microbiologist. My research focused on the innate immune response to hepatitis C virus. And for me, immunology, virology, microbiology, I like the complex interplay between the microorganisms and your body. It was this this organized warfare between your body and all the particles and machinations out there that try to get you sick. And as you studied it, it became very complex how viruses start to evade your immune response or your immune response adapts to viruses. It's this complex um, song and dance that's very amazingly orchestrated. But even the smallest deviations can lead to illness. And in our research, we were looking at different genes that when turned on or off can affect your body's response to these viruses. So I I loved microbiology. I loved the science, but I actually just liked medicine more. And it came to a point where I had to make a decision. 
as I was spending a lot of time in lab, I took a long look at my life and what did I see myself doing? And I just really didn't see myself doing this type of biomedical research long term. So then I made the decision after two years of research, I actually did my thesis proposal that was accepted. I was a PhD candidate. I was on my way to my first publication, but I didn't love what I was doing and I knew it wasn't what I want to do long term. So that was a really challenging uh, decision to leave the PhD program. But as I started to focus on medicine, there was a lot more joy that was returned to my life. There was this whole world of medical um, science that was opened up to me. And it actually let me know that research was always an option. Even if I didn't have the doctoral degree, I would still have the expertise as a clinician. And there's plenty of physicians still doing high quality research. So I realized I didn't close any doors. It's just a different path. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like you have to do what you love. And it seems like you have a really good bedside manner. You enjoy working with your patients. You enjoy the medicine. So you you just basically are doing what you were made to do. There, there's a lot of friends, like my friend who actually heads up a hospital, decided to do that. He, he was obviously very brilliant, but he decided that he just enjoyed, you know, kind of being, I joke, but I think there's a lot level of truth to it. You're the kind of doctor that actually helps people and um just <laughs> a PhD doctor. But anyway, uh, I think we help people in different ways. And I'm glad that you're able to do what you want to do. You did your residency, as most MD graduates do. You were placed into the hospital. You started a practice and then you decided to do something else. So maybe you could talk a little bit of your, about your practice first and what caused you to transition from, you know, basically a stable practice to doing what you're doing now? Well, that's, you know, that's really the talk of my life right now. So my background, I actually trained as an anesthesiologist. I went to Columbia University in New York, did four years of anesthesiology residency, and I got an amazing training in anesthesia. We learned life-saving skills, how to um, place patients under anesthesia for um, surgeries, how to do epidurals, how to do neuroanesthesia, cardiac anesthesia. Uh, we work as intensivists in ICU, so we can take care of extremely sick patients. We can intubate. We could connect people to life-saving medications. I remember as a senior in the hospital, I'm the guy who carried the cold blue bag. So at 2 a.m., if you hear cold blue, that was me running at the at top speed in the hospital. So there were a lot of lessons that I learned. And then I decided that I really enjoyed pain medicine. Anesthesia was a terrific skill set. But interventional pain medicine, I felt, agreed more with my mindset. I liked having the ability to have my own patient and have some long-term care with patients. And doing interventional pain medicine gave me that ability to create a patient base, have a long-term relationship, and also to learn a very unique and needed skill set. So I decided to do interventional pain medicine, and I did my fellowship at the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. And that was a tremendous experience. And from there, I went into private practice. I saw patients for chronic pain. I treated all sorts of pain, neck pain, back pain, hip pain, all over pain, mental pain. And it kind of correlated with the opioid epidemic. And in our training, um, we were leery about using narcotics to manage pain. And 
this is a really critical time where most physicians stop prescribing opioid medications. And I saw a lot of patients who have been treated with opioid medications for years and years suddenly cut off because of our medical practice has changed. And that led to a lot of patients um, obtaining opioids from illegal sources or misusing opioids or doctor shopping. And what I found as a pain medicine specialist, I started to deal with a lot of um, opioid dependence. And in order to deal with that, I decided that, you know what, I'm going to get more education and training in this. So I actually um, became board certified, not only in interventional pain medicine, anesthesiology, I got board certified in addiction medicine. And I headed up maybe about two or three different opioid treatment centers over the past five years where I could treat patients um, struggling with opioid dependence or opioid abuse. And it really enhanced my capacity to treat chronic pain because I can identify patients on the spectrum of chronic pain, opioid dependence, or if there's something else going on. Now, all of that to say is I started to work in private practice. And after COVID, that really affected my ability to work in solo practice. And I decided to take an opportunity at the Veterans Hospital. And there I became the program manager for chronic pain and addiction medicine service that was combined with the internal medicine department. So there I was really able to treat chronic pain and veterans who were on the spectrum of chronic pain versus addiction. And because of my influence there, we were able to restructure our pain program there. And I created the interdisciplinary pain program at the South Texas Veterans Hospital. And I was their first medical director of the interdisciplinary pain clinic. And we were able to, com to combine holistic approaches to chronic pain, psychological approaches, um, interventional approaches, pharmacological approaches to treat patients in a comprehensive manner to improve their pain. And that was a really big success. And I really enjoyed it. Now, for me, I always want to give back to the community. And as I grew in my faith, um, I'm a Christian. As I grew in my faith, I decided I want to do more. So in between that time of, you know, having a family, doing these jobs, I decided to start a nonprofit where we could have clinics for the community. And over the course of three to five years, it really grew. We started to partner with different nonprofit organizations. We held health fairs. Uh, we held pop-up clinics in different churches. And then we obtained a stable location where we could open a clinic the last Saturday of every month. And as I started to do that, my passion for the nonprofit really grew. And I became at a crossroads where I had to decide if I want to continue on my stable career or really go with my passion and build this nonprofit. And I prayed about it and God made it very clear that it was time to step forward in faith. And I started to work fully on my nonprofit organization. And during this time, my wife, she also decided to make a career shift and she uh, started the Kingdom Healing Institute, which is a private practice focused on neurological care and holistic medicine. And I help out there sometimes, but I focus on our nonprofit, the Kingdom Healthcare System, where our goal is to provide affordable access to care for those in need. We want to be a living representation of the love of God by taking care of people. Now, it's very interesting because I'm a, a highly specialized anesthesiologist pain specialist and addiction medicine specialist. But what I found in our community care is that they didn't need my specializations. They just needed a doctor. They needed something very basic. 
So we started by just offering the basic services. We provided medication refills. We counseled patients. We prayed for patients. We did physical exams and we helped with paperwork. And as word spread in the community that we existed, we would start getting more and more and more patients. So now we're at a point where I'm specifically raising more funds so that we can go from just a part-time operation to a full-time operation serving the community. First of all, this is really cool uh, what you're doing because I too would love to help out the community, but you know, you understand like Maslow's pyramid of needs, right? Like you need to be financially secure first and yada, yada before you can go out and help the community. So help yourself first and help others. But you've gotten to a point where you can do that and it's really awesome, but you obviously can't do this on your own. So how are you able to recruit other doctors, perhaps they do in their spare time, or perhaps they're being fully funded by your nonprofit through generous donations? All right. So I like what you said, but there's a passage in the Bible that is actually completely the opposite. So as a Christ follower, if you look at Matthew um, chapter six, I believe verse 30, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and all else will be added unto you. And there's actually a story in the Bible where Jesus spoke to a young rich ruler who said, Lord, what can I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus told him, well, sell all your possessions and follow me. And that's completely contrary to our worldview, where even me growing up, I believe that if I work hard enough, I obtain enough money and then I can give back to the community. But the Bible actually teaches us No, you step out on faith first. You start doing the good things that God has called you to do first, and then everything else will come. I probably started a little backwards, but I am in the position where, yes, um, I was blessed. We were in this very stable position, so I could take a bigger risk. But the way that I see it, it's not really a risk. It's a step in faith. Now, the reality is, yes, I took a tremendous pay cut by leaving a stable, specialized physician job to run a nonprofit. So how are we supporting this? So, yes, I still work part time um, to pay the bills. But the real goal of this is to raise funds where I can do this full time without juggling, because the reality is I can't do this on my own. You see, from 2018 to 2020, it was completely a self-funded ministry. Um, My wife, she's a specialist neurologist, epileptologist, and I'm a triple board certified specialist. So we had enough disposable income to make the clinic run. So we had a location that we paid for. We had all the materials that we paid for. We had the electronic medical records that we paid for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what happened was in 2020, COVID hit, and we were unable to run our nonprofit clinic, one, because we didn't know if it was safe to bring patients there. Two, we didn't know if it was safe to bring volunteers there. So we had this clinic that we were paying for that was completely unused. And at the same time, my private practice, I had to close it down because of the COVID restrictions. And I had to make a choice. Well, what am I going to do? Am I going to wait it out or do I have to work somewhere else? And in the meantime, I also had about two or three part time jobs as a physician to make ends meet and to run the nonprofit. And then I caught COVID and I got pretty sick from COVID and I was unable to 
work and do all of the extra work that I was doing before to sustain the nonprofit. So I got to a point where I realized that I actually can't do it on my own. So that experience really let me know that it's not just my vision, it's God's vision. And in order to do it, I can't do it on my own. So that's why I feel very comfortable in terms of meeting different people, reaching out to different organizations and requesting funding. So currently I meet with colleagues, friends, different churches, different organizations um, to have one-on-one meetings to discuss my vision for the nonprofit and to see if they would be willing to partner with us. And we have had um, generous donors who are partner with us on a monthly basis. And we're starting to apply for grants to get more funding. So the short answer is, do we have enough money to build what I want? The an- that answer is no, we're not there yet. Do we have a clear plan on how to get there? Well, yes, we do have a plan. We're going to continue to trust God. We're going to continue to hold different vision nights, different fundraising events, and also speak with individuals who understand our vision and who are willing to support it. But also, we're just going to keep moving forward. It's a complicated answer, but no, we don't have everything um, that we need yet, but we are believing God to provide for it because it's, it's his vision. It's his mission. And I'm just blessed that I can steward it and move forward with it. Yeah, there's a saying that people always tell me I'm not a practicing Christian. My wife is Catholic, but I absolutely respect the religion. and I love, you know, learning about it. And I think the saying goes like God helps those who help themselves. And you're definitely helping yourself with a kind of clear vision to try to prevent health disparities, healthcare disparities improve access to the community. I I guess I have a twofold question. One is like, are you able to recruit other physicians of other specialties or even general medicine to help out? Because a lot of the time people just need a checkup or like you said, they need just somebody to write them a prescription. And maybe you, you, while you have the medical training, you don't have like absolutely every specialty, right? And the second one is Let's say you do have all the money that you need because that, that's part of your goal right now is to fundraise, but you're able to support everything that you're, you're planning. What is the plan to try to, I guess, piece by piece repair what I, I guess would be an arguably broken healthcare system here in the United States of America? Well, that's a that's a lofty question, and I'll do my best to to answer it. So first, um, help and recruitment. So yes, I do have a network of physicians, primary care physicians, subspecialists who volunteer and who are who are excited to volunteer. The one thing about healthcare workers, everybody got into medicine to help people. There's been some point where you had to write an application to med school, nursing school, PA school, MA school, where they ask you, why do you want to do this? And you're not supposed to write because I just want to help people. But that's the truth. That's usually the basic instinct for people who are gifted with compassion to be a healthcare worker. So getting healthcare workers to volunteer is not hard. If you give them an opportunity, you're going to have an overwhelming response, and that hasn't changed. So the workforce is not the problem. Uh, We always have more volunteers than we have patients at times. Now, let's say I have all the funding that I need to fix the healthcare problem. Well, it starts with access to care. A lot of people have insurance, but insurance does not mean healthcare. For example, 
if you have health insurance that's supplied by your employer, you often have a deductible. Now, the deductible in Texas is often about $6,500 for individual or family. And the monthly premium is typically a little bit over $400 for health insurance. So in order to access a physician, you're going to be paying $400 a month and when you need health care, you'll pay your copay, which is anywhere from $25 to $50 per visit. And before your insurance actually covers anything, you are going to have to come out of pocket a lot of money. So most people are paying health insurance to have the privilege of paying their premium when they actually need health care. That is a broken system. Most people are actually working under a self-pay health care system under the illusion that they have health insurance. If you were to get sick and you have to use your health insurance for something that's not structured into it, you're going to have a huge bill. And most people will understand that. And that's why when you go to the hospital, you get a flurry of bills. You don't know how much you actually owe and nobody knows how much you actually owe. The hospital doesn't know how much you actually owe because they don't know how much your insurance is going to pay. So it's this convoluted system where nobody knows how much your health care costs, but health care is not health insurance. Now, if you have health insurance, how long does it take to see a doctor? Well, you schedule a doctor visit, and on average, it takes about 26 days to get an appointment with a physician. And if you see your physician, on average, you're going to spend about 7 to 15 minutes with the physician. So you wait a month to spend seven minutes with a doctor and you're paying $400 a month for your health insurance. And then when you actually need to use your health insurance, you have to pay your $6,500 deductible. That sounds insane. Now, what people are starting to do, there's a movement for direct care. Now, direct primary care is a model where you as a patient pay a subscription to the clinic. And for example, in Texas, there are several direct um, primary care clinics where you pay an initial visit of somewhere $100 to $200 to see your physician. And that visit will include the doctor's visit and labs that you need. And it can also include referral for basic imaging. And now you have the option to become a member for like anywhere between $50 and $150 a month. You have access to your doctor where you can see them the next day or within a week. You can call them, you can message them, and labs, minor injections, discounted medications, that's all included in your membership. Now, that doesn't count as health insurance, but it's a lot better health care than what people are getting. So my nonprofit, my goal is to emulate that model to an extent, but have it subsidized very heavily by nonprofits and individual donors to provide health care for those in need. A lot of people are in between healthcare, where as soon as you lose your job, you lose your health insurance. Now you lose access to your doctor. You may have a $4 high blood pressure medication, but you can't get a refill because you do not have a prescription because you need a doctor. And that cash pay doctor visit can be anywhere from $100 to $300. And you may not have that. So what happens? You go without your medication until you get so sick and you go to the emergency room. Now you're using emergency services for primary care and you're going to get like a $2,000 to $3,000 bill just for being in the ER. And the whole cycle continues and everybody loses because those with health insurance are paying those costs. So it's a really broken health insurance system. My goal is to have the Kingdom Healthcare system 
be a safety net to provide care without health insurance. And if we can provide basic care, focus on preventative care, we can prevent people from getting so sick that they need to use expensive avenues of health care like the emergency room. Maybe we could prevent the long-term complications of diabetes and hypertension to prevent amputations. Maybe we can control asthma so that people aren't hospitalized for an asthma flare or have to spend a week in the ICU to recover. So I believe that if we start focusing our efforts on basic primary care, providing access to care, we can improve patients' health so that they don't have to use emergency services and get extremely sick. You obviously have a lot of insight into this. For me, uh, I, my deductible is not quite as high. My premium is not quite as high for the insurance that we have, but I can definitely tell, you know, I'm going to pay out like 10 grand out of pockets because of the premiums plus the deductible before the insurance, like the 80% coinsurance or whatever actually kicks in. So <laughs> I, I totally get it. Like it makes us kind of jealous of the more uh, socialized systems in Europe and in parts of Asia where you, you can break a leg and not have to just hobble around because you can't afford to go to the ER or whatever. You just go and they'll charge you like five bucks or something. But obviously, like there are opponents to that, but I just feel like that kind of thing is paradise. Like healthcare should be a fundamental human right, and you should have access to it. You should have access to the best possible doctor, right? And uh, I think it's really wonderful that you're you're part of a growing movement to try to fix what is essentially broken. Are you planning to expand? Like if it's successful in Texas, your home state right now, are you planning to expand this nationwide and possibly even worldwide, or is that just a too lofty a goal at this time? Well, I love the way you think, and the answer is yes. I believe that this is what God wants me to do with my life. So I'm going to be extremely successful here, not because of my efforts, but it's because of our obedience and doing what God has called us to do. And healthcare, we know that our healthcare system is broken in America. And it's up to individuals who care and see the problem to do something about it. Now, even with all the government health programs, once again, health insurance is not health care. We need to create programs that provides health care and not insurance. And that way we can take care of those in need. For example, even in San Antonio, we have health insurance programs that can provide almost free care to people in San Antonio. But People may not qualify because of the applications. You may have some illegal immigrants. You may have people who just don't understand the complexities of the paperwork, and those efforts will never reach them or provide health care. And even when they do sign up for this health care, they may have to wait months before they see a doctor or a health care provider. And it becomes this constant system of you're doing things, but you're not providing health care. And all the while, that three months while somebody does not have access to their diabetes medication, they're going to the emergency room or they're being admitted in the hospital. And now the hospital is absorbing the cost, meaning that those who have insurance are actually paying the cost of our of our broken health care system. So, yes, I believe that once uh, our organization shows that, we can provide amazing health care at a fraction of the cost and show the love of God to all people and patients get better. We have better outcomes. I think it's naturally going to spread. And yes, I'd love to spread it as far as it possibly can go. 
Awesome. Yeah, because, you know, you obviously as a medical doctor, you had to take the Hippocratic Oath first do no harm, but to do no harm, you got to let them into the door, right? So try to get as many patients into the door so you can care for them and do what it is that you do best. Is there anything else you would like to tell us about your vision or Kingdom Healthcare? Well, the Kingdom Healthcare System, our mission is to provide affordable access to care um, for those in need and to spread the love of God to all people. And in order to do that, we need people to support our cause. We need people to partner with us because I believe that as we provide care for those people, um, they're going to become even better and more functional members of society, and they'll be able to contrib- contribute more. Imagine if health insurance was not a barrier for you to reach your dreams. A lot of people are in their jobs because their benefit package is so good, but they hate what they're doing. Imagine if you had the freedom to be a contractor and know that your health insurance isn't going to cost you your entire paycheck. It gives a lot of freedom for you to follow the call of God on your life, knowing that you're not playing roulette with your health. So I believe the Kingdom Healthcare System will provide an amazing service for everyone who needs health care. And it's a way for us to show the love of God to all people. It's a very wonderful message, Dr. Musa. And uh, I really want to thank you for your time. I wish you and your wife and your family the best. Uh, say hi to Sham for me. <laughs> and, uh, Yeah, thank you so much. You can find the Kingdom Healthcare Services website at kingdom-hcs.org. That'll be in the show notes. And again, Dr. Musa, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much and God bless. This has been a conversation with Dr. Hussein Musa, and we hope you join us again next time when we will explore another exciting topic about bioscience research and careers. BioChat is a production of Apple Technology, hosted and edited by myself, Ken Lund. Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts and follow us on social media. You can find our various socials in the show notes link to Dr. Beaker's page on appcolonial.com. Or you can also find our vast catalog of biological reagents and services. If you wish to contact the podcast directly for an interview opportunity or to inquire about Appcolonial's quality products and services, please send a message to service at appcolonial.com. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on the next episode.